most of you probably know that Sam and I have three boys, Eli, Judah and Asher. And one of our boys, he goes at such a pace, he's just, he runs everywhere. But he also slows down from time to time and when he does, he really notices things. He really looks at you and he really notices stuff. The other day he was looking at my face lovingly, staring at my face really closely and he comes up really, really close and he's like, there's there's like a bump, like, is that a pimple? I was like, oh, thank you for drawing attention to that. And you know, when we're in the spa, I have trained the boys to massage my feet. And so he massages my feet and he he often says, ah, that toe, why does that toe go off in that wonky direction? You know, he he just notices these things, which can be uncomfortable, but there is such a beautiful side to his noticing as well, because when I change my earrings, which happens about once every six months, I haven't changed them today, sorry about that, but he always notices, oh wow, I love your earrings. If I get my hair done, he is always the first in the family to notice. If I put a dress on, he always comments about the flowers and the colours and he's very, very lavish with his praise and his words of affirmation. And so I do love the way that he notices things. We were created to notice things. God created us to notice, to slow down and notice things, to notice each other to actually look at each other and see each other, to be really fully present to the world around us. So when we come to God's word, when we read the Bible, there's this beautiful invitation just to slow down and notice the treasures that are in the sacred text. And then this text can shape us and transform us. God didn't just give us the Bible for information, but he gave us the Bible for meditation. And so today I want to talk about meditating on God's Word. I want to talk about the fact that we were made to meditate on his Word and that we can find refuge in his promises. There is a really fascinating uh, passage in the book of Revelation. Now, I am not going to pretend to understand the book of Revelation fully, but what I do know is that it's a book of hope and that John is given a vision from God and he writes it down. And so in Revelation 10 verse 8, it says this, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and I said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it. So John eats the book. Now, Eugene Peterson, who is the guy who wrote a translation of the Bible called the Message Version, it's a beautiful uh, translation, he wrote a book inspired by this passage, and it's called Eat This Book. And he says this, John eats the book, not just reads it, He got it into his nerve endings, his reflexes, his imagination. The book he ate was holy scripture, assimilated into his worship and prayer, his imagining and writing. The book he ate was metabolized into the book he wrote, the first great poem in the Christian tradition and the concluding book of the Bible, The Revelation. And then Eugene Peterson goes on to say this, the kind of reading that John is experiencing is not the kind that equips us to pass an examination. Eating a book takes it all in. Readers become what they read. John's not the only prophet in the Bible to eat a book. 
Hundreds of years earlier, Ezekiel is given a book and commanded to eat it. And then Jeremiah eats God's revelation, which is the equivalent of uh, Holy Scripture. So these men, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they were responsible for the formation the spiritual formation of God's people in some really, really hard times, the Babylonian exile, Roman persecution. And so during these hard times, they knew how important it was to eat God's word. We live in this time of pressure, and we can feel pressured to live by a different word, by a different text, by a text that says we follow our needs and our wants and our circumstances. Maybe we feel pressured to live a certain way because of social media, because it tells us what's acceptable and desirable. But as followers of Jesus, primarily we got to be formed by God's word. It's so important. We've got to be formed by it. And so Eugene says this, in our reading of this book, we come to realize that what we need is not primarily informational, telling us things about God and ourselves, but formational, shaping us into our true being. This week was a really unsettling week for lots of us. For me, Sam was away. It was raining, there were floods, people were being evacuated, and the kids were home unexpectedly because school was closed. And so the kids and I felt like we needed a focus, we needed to have a bit of fun, and so we decided to embark on a great journey, which was learning to solve the Rubik's Cube. Hands up if you can solve the three by three Rubik's Cube. Yes, we will chat after. Oh, that's exciting. I've got a little friend. So this is actually a lot more difficult than you might think. When I started, I thought this isn't going to be so hard. Well, it was hard. It actually was hard. My brain was aching. And, you know, there were tears and there were arguments quite a few. And then there were lots of shouts of joy and high fives. And once we got there, we really got there. And so now I can happily say I can solve the Rubik's Cube, the three by three. And Judah is the fastest in our family, our eight-year-old. He can do it in three minutes, which is a lot faster than me. But the world record is under seven seconds. So we've still got a wee way to go. But anyway, in this process of solving the cube, we were watching YouTube tutorials. And they're really in-depth. You've got this guy, and he's explaining an algorithm which you have to memorise. And so we're starting it and stopping it, starting it, stopping it. And one of our sons, bless him, he kept saying, oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I got it. And he just, he starts twisting, changing the cube. But he didn't have it. He did not have it. He hadn't even listened to the instruction. And so I started getting so wild because at that point, we only had one Rubik's Cube between all of us. And so every time he did that, we had to go back to the beginning. I actually had to ring mum and say, can you come round with many more Rubik's Cubes? Because we actually need one each for this process. And so she did do that. But at this point, we had one. So this whole thing culminated with, with me just yelling in his face, stop slow down. Would you listen to the instructions? You don't know it. You know, and like, it wasn't my finding parenting moment, finest, but I'm just yelling. And then, you know, in reflection of that moment, I realized that is actually what God's been saying to me more graciously all year. Slow down when you come to my word. You know, I love reading the Bible and I'm in good routines. This year more than ever, I've woken up in the morning and I reach for my Bible like it's an oxygen mask and the plane's going down, you know, and it's, 
and it's brought me such refuge. His word has sustained me. But what God has been saying is learn to read this differently. Learn to slow down. Learn to listen. You know, that, that thing that my son was doing, that's an inherited trait. I do that. I always think I know how to do something, but I haven't actually learned it yet. It's really annoying. Sorry, mum. I'm slightly better now, but I still, you know, I think, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I think I can do that. It's like, no, you can't. And so, and when it comes to reading the Bible, it's the same. Slow down. God is teaching me to listen, to actually mull on something, to reflect on it, to actually meditate on his word, to take time for him to speak to me. So Eugene says, Reading is an immense gift, but only if the words are assimilated, taken into the soul, eaten, chewed, gnawed, received in unhurried delight. If we want to be shaped by God's word, we've got to let it get into our bloodstream. We've got to let it soak through our skin, actually drop from our head to our heart. And that's actually a process. It does not happen with a quick skim read in one ear and out the other. A few weeks ago, I came across a passage, and as I read it, it just burned in my spirit. And I thought, okay, reading this once is not enough. So I came back to it, and I sat with it. And I really tried to slow down and chew on it and and mull on it, digest it, actually get the richness and the flavor out of it. And this was the passage. It's Matthew 6, 6. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. Ah, it's, I just, this is so beautiful. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. And so I thought, oh yeah, I can do that. (laughs) Easy. So, you know, and then I come into the presence and I'm just sitting with that verse and I feel God say to me, take off your hats, the hats you're wearing. We all wear so many hats. So I take off my, you know, parenting hat, pastoral hat, wife hat, and then I'm like, okay, simply and honestly. And then it's like, well, no, hang on. Take off that controlling hat that you're still wearing. Oh, I didn't realize I was wearing that hat. Oh, yeah, there it is. Take that off. You know, sitting there, take off that hat that loves to worry about everything. You know, take that one off. Oh, yeah, yeah, that hat. And so on and so on. And this, there's just so much depth and richness in coming simply and honestly. It's not as simple as it sounds. And I felt like God spoke so much. There was so much treasure just in this one small passage. And now I've been sitting with the same passage for weeks. And I might be here for months because I feel like God's still speaking to me in this passage. And I don't want to rush the process. There's still things that he's saying to me in this. And And I'm just trying to enjoy it, just trying not to control it, just to listen and go with it. Sometimes we can get in the the habit of just speed reading scripture, flicking through books, reading blogs, listening to awesome podcasts, and it's all wonderful stuff. But we do not want to uh, forget to have depth in our spiritual connection with Jesus. We need the depth. Meditating on scripture brings a depth and a richness that can otherwise be missed. 
in this current series, we've been mixing it up. We haven't been having the worship first. We've been having the word and then the worship. And I'm just loving the space because it means we hear the word. And if God sort of impresses something on our heart, we've got space to think and reflect and sit with it and chew on it and mull over it. So in our daily or weekly or monthly devotionals, whenever you spend time with God, we need that space. We need time and space to really chew on God's word, to chew on his truths. Christians have been meditating on his words for hundreds of years. It's not new. But for some of us, meditation is a very new practice. And it is that. It's a practice. You've got to work hard at it. It's a process. It's hard at first, but the more you try it, the easier it becomes. And this is new to me. I haven't been doing Christian meditation for years. I studied at a Bible college. I have did a few um, silent retreats over the years. And I have also done some guided contemplation, which has just been so life-giving. But it hasn't been part of my normal weekly rhythms until recently, and it's something that I want to become a habit in my life. So if you're completely new to it, I just want you to be encouraged. I am a total baby in this practice, but already I'm seeing the fruit that just sitting with Scripture and meditating on it has in my life. I'm seeing the fruit in my intimacy with with God. The Bible's packed full of Scriptures that encourage us to meditation. So here are just a few goodies. Genesis says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. (laughs) That just cracks me up, because he's just out there, and he's meditating, and he's noticing the camels. You know, he's actually present. He's looking. He's noticing. Psalm 4, meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Psalm 1, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. 1 Timothy, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Joshua 1, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And that's just a few. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, and it's just a celebration of God's Word. The word meditate over and over. It just comes up again and again. One of my faves, John 15, it says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And that whole passage in John, it's about us remaining in him, him remaining in us. And it's saying, here's a way to do it. Let my words dwell in you. There is just such a battle going on for us to engage with God's Word. There's just so much other good stuff that's interesting to read or engage with. And so we've just got to be encouraging each other to do this. And some of you may find when you do read your Word, it's much easier to do a set reading plan or a Bible study. And I'm not saying they're not good. They're great. But sometimes it's because it feels like you're doing something when you do a set reading plan. With meditation, it doesn't feel like you're doing anything. You might just be sitting there and feeling like, what's happening? But what you do need to know is the Holy Spirit is doing something in you. God is doing something in you and you can trust that he will do something in you. It just doesn't always feel like we're achieving much. Some meditation is creating a space where we can completely empty our minds. 
But Christian meditation is creating a space where we can have more of his presence and more of his word. So there is nothing to fear in this space of meditation. It's trying to tune out the outside world so we can actually tune in to his word more clearly. So we can actually hear his voice more clearly. Meditation is a tool given to us to help us from God. And when we practice meditation, we learn to be more focused on the voice of the Holy Spirit. We learn to be more responsive to his invitation. And the juiciest, most delicious fruit that comes is that we learn to live and love more like Jesus. And isn't that what we want? Braxy Cavey does some really great teaching on meditation. And in fact, I would say he does great teaching on every topic. Every time I get passionate about anything, I go and find out what Braxy's saying about it. And so this time he did not disappoint. Listen to this. Christian education is highly valuable. The process of study and inquiry is like typing important information into your brain. Meditation is like hitting the enter key. Oh, I just love that. It's like we read, we study, it goes in our brain. But it's not till we meditate that it hits the enter key and then it can drop from our head into our heart. Oh, man, that's good. So often I'm reading the Bible when I come across something that quickens in my spirit and I think, oh, I love that. And so I race off to tell someone straight away. I want to share it. Or I take a photo of it and I send it to a friend and I just, I want them to, you know, get the joy of it as well. But in the rush, I often miss that intimate space with God first. I miss what he wants to say to me in it first. It's like when I bake my boys a birthday cake. But I should say if I bake my boys a birthday cake, because <laughs> I actually do not enjoy baking at all and often pack and save or mum bakes the boys a birthday cake. But if I bake it, I do want them to share it with all their friends. Of course they do. But I want them to have a piece first. I want them to have a big, delicious piece with lots of icing and lollies on top because I made it for them. And often it's like that. God wants us to sit with it first before we share it. God wants us to find refuge in it first. He wants it to transform us first. And then out of that place of transformation, then we can go and share it. Eugene says, bring the leisure and attentiveness of lovers to the text, cherishing every comma and semicolon. Then he says, delighting in the surprising placement of a noun. Lovers don't just take a quick look, get a message or a meaning and then run off and talk endlessly with their friends about how they feel. And this, this quote just really struck a chord with my heart. We don't just get something and run off. Imagine if we came to the text like lovers with that same attentiveness and interest. And it reminded me of when Sam and I started dating and I went early in our relationship to a mission trip in Nepal and the only way we could communicate was by email. So Sam would write the most gushy, long, loving, heartfelt emails. He would, he's hiding now. Don't hide your love. Don't be ashamed. <laughs> and they would be so long, I would have to print them out. I'd print them out and from this little internet cafe in Kathmandu and I'd take them home. And then I'd just pour over them, just like reading them over and over, you know, just letting them really permeate into my heart. But our intimacy in that time really grew, even though we were miles apart, because I was learning more and more about God's heart and Sam's heart during that time. 
And, you know, Jesus wants that same intimacy with us when we come to his word. He actually invites us to tuck his treasures away in our hearts. Meditation comes with many, many benefits. And Bruxy does a really good job of outlining some of um, the benefits. So he says this, there's mental benefits. Meditation helps declutter the mind. And our minds are so busy, they're so full of clutter. When we declutter the mind, we're more open to the presence and the peace of God. It can help improve our experience of empathy, compassion, and self-control while reducing stress, worry, and anger. Doesn't that sound awesome? The spiritual benefits, along with the decluttering, we become more able to hear the still, small voice of God. And there's discipleship benefits. Meditation will help us work with rather than against the Holy Spirit as he cultivates the fruit of the Spirit in us. This happens as we allow our thoughts and feelings to be increasingly influenced by and partnered with the mind of Christ. Oh, I just love all these benefits. I hear these and I think, yes, yes, yes. I want more of that in my life. Sign me up. And then Bruxy goes on to discuss the breath, which I found really interesting because the times I have taken part in guided meditations, they always start with deep breathing. And I am a big lover of deep breathing. I teach Pilates. And so the whole class is just, it's a, it's a blend of movement and stretches connecting the breath and the body. So I can tell you firsthand just the benefits of slowing down your breath and, and how that calms the body and calms the mind. And so when I am being aware of my breath and I'm slowing down, I'm just aware that it's God that put the breath in my lungs. It's just, it's, it brings you to a moment of awe when you're aware of your breath, that actually it's in him that we live and we move and we have our being, that it's his breath that sustains us. If we look at the human body, some of our bodily functions are automatic so we don't have to think about them. And some of them are voluntary. So for example, our organs, they're automatic. We don't have to consciously tell our heart to beat. It just beats. I'm really, really grateful we don't have to tell our heart because Sam would definitely have forgotten by now. And you know, that wouldn't be good. (laughs) It's nice to have him around. But our muscles, you know, we have to make them move. We have to choose to get up It's voluntary, we have to choose to go for a walk. And if we didn't, if it wasn't voluntary, it would be pretty funny because people would be having spontaneous dance parties, you know, and they wouldn't be able to control it. But this is the thing, breathing is that strange thing that falls into both categories. Most of the time it's automatic, but we can choose to speed it up or slow it down. Braxy says this, breath is the boundary between what happens beyond our control and what happens within our control. So when we centre our minds on our breathing, we're tapping into a terrific tool to help us focus on what is most important, our intimacy with and dependency on God's very own life-giving spirit. When we're anxious, our breath becomes fast and shallow. It's part of the fight or flight response. But just the simple act of slowing our breath sends signals to the brain we're not in imminent danger. We're actually okay. We can calm down. So when we choose to meditate on his word and we choose a passage that's just such a refuge because it brings peace and calm, then what we can do is we can actually partner with it by consciously slowing down our breath and using the way that our body's designed to help usher in that peace. 
This has been such an amazing tool for me this year in my times of anxiety and grief. And there are so many scriptures. This is just overflowing with scriptures that are a refuge for our soul if we just sit and we soak in them. If we can just press the enter key on them and just let them sink from our head to our heart. Here are some of the ones that have changed me this year. Cast your worries on him and he will sustain you. God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. That's what we've been teaching the kids. So good. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And I could go on and on. That's just a couple of them. And I'm hoping by now you guys are feeling so excited about trying to meditate on God's Word that you're just wishing I would stop talking already so you could get into it. And I am going to stop talking really soon. You'll be able to get into it. But before that, I want to give you some practical tips for just really engaging with this. Some of these are mine. Some of these are Bruxy's. The first thing I want to say is some of us really struggle to sit still. You know, really struggle, and that's okay. In my very limited experience, I would say meditation does not have to be stationary. For me, when I go for a run, it's a really meditative space. Now, it's not if I'm pushing myself and I'm trying to do some time or something, no. But if I'm just plodding along at an enjoyable pace, then I just get into a zone, a meditation zone, and I can just bring a scripture to mind and just sit with it and reflect with it and mull over it, chew it, digest it, really get it into my bloodstream. For Luke, I would imagine a meditative space is standing in a river knee-deep in water with mosquitoes all around you with a fishing rod. I would imagine that's meditative because it's something he loves doing. And I'm pretty sure fishing does not take that much brain power. I don't know because I haven't done it, but I'm pretty sure I could do it pretty easily. (laughs) But, you know, if he can be in that space and not have to think too much, then he can just meditate on Scripture. For Sam, a meditative space is when he hangs out with his other wife. And that's our speaker's. You know, he just sits in a chair with his head at the perfect height. It must be the perfect height to get the right frequency. And, you know, he just soaks in the sound. And it doesn't take much brain power. And he can just reflect and meditate. And for those of you who have small children or a busy house, it may be impossible to find a place to meditate in your house unless the kids are asleep. But you could go for a walk, a five-minute round the block or a 10-minute round the block, and just take one verse with you and meditate on it as you go. So here's some tips. Put your meditation time in your diary like you would any other meeting, and then you're going to do it. Find a comfortable space. Remember, you're not trying to achieve something. You're not trying to tick a box. You're just making space to be with God and receive from him. Set a timer and then you won't be checking your watch all the time. Oh, shivers. Oh, I've only done one minute. Okay. Oh, yeah. Or, oh, shivers, better go. Just set a timer. Then you can just relax during the time. Begin with prayer and some slow, deep breaths and let the breath remind you God breathed life into you. Just take a moment to pause and let that sink You know, God sustains you. 
For some of you, you might find it easier to pray a set prayer. If your mind is scattered and busy and you really want to focus in, it's easier to pray out loud sometimes. And I found this beautiful prayer on the Lectio 365 app. It always starts like this. As I enter prayer now, I pause to be still, to breathe slowly, to recenter my scattered senses upon the presence of you, Lord. So you could steal that or you could write your own, but it's a good way to start. Then read the scripture. Now the passage should be short enough that you can actually understand it, that you don't spend your whole meditation time trying to work out what's going on. If you want to work out what's going on, do some study into the context, do that at another time so that when you come to meditate on it, you can just sit with it and it's not too long. And then read the passage and just notice, just be aware, just sit with it. And then read it again slowly. Does something jump out for you? Does something resonate with you? And then if it does, sit with it. Chew on it, reflect, make space so that God can speak to you. You can read a new verse every day or you can stay with the same passage for months, which is what I'm doing, and you're not going to get it wrong. Okay, you're just not. You're not going to get it wrong. You may have some amazing revelation or you may just feel like you're sitting in silence just breathing and that's okay because remember, even though we're not doing something, we can trust that the Holy Spirit is doing something in us. He's changing us and transforming us with his word. Don't beat yourself up if your mind wanders. Your mind will wander. It's probably wandering now. Come back. I've still got a few good things to say. You know, don't beat yourself up. Just bring your mind back to Jesus. Every time you choose Jesus, it's a little gift. It's like, I choose you again, Lord. I choose you again. You know, so just keep bringing it back to him. And what you're doing is you're training a mental muscle. And here's the joy. Not only will you become better at meditation and actually focusing, but you will become more focused and more present in your everyday life. The way you look at people, the way you talk to your kids, the way you talk to your parents and your friends, you'll just become more present. Engage your imagination. For some of you, it might be helpful to imagine Jesus right there. Is he sitting next to you? Is he holding your hand? Or you might want to imagine yourself as a child curled up in God's lap. God gave us our imaginations, and so it can be a really beautiful tool if we ask him to guide it. There's just no rules. You can move between thinking and praying and sitting in silence and writing and praying. So just, you know, take the pressure off yourself. Just enjoy it. Flow freely between those. If you fall asleep, awesome. You obviously needed it. I like to call it a holy nap. Just enjoy it. Enjoy sleeping in his peace. Take off your hats. Just try and take them off. The space is just meant to be simple and reflective and restful. And then when you finish your meditation time and you have to re-enter society, which can be hard, just take another deep breath and maybe finish with a prayer of thanksgiving. And then you might want to jot some things down or you might want to tell a friend. And let's just encourage each other with this stuff. If you have a good meditation time, tell someone, encourage them. The amazing thing is that when you head back into your day, God will continue to speak to you in that passage. There'll be little reminders, there'll be little coincidences that aren't really coincidences at all. Braxy says this, meditation is a quiet labor of love. We're training our mind to focus better on Jesus and his will for our lives. Meditation takes practice and the practice itself is healthy. 
I'll finish with this. The other night I was feeling really sad and I was feeling fragile. And Sam and I were just sitting in the lounge and we were both reading. It was very silent and peaceful. And then Sam said, oh, I'm going to go to bed. I just I need an early night. And I said, oh, I don't want you to go. Can you just sit here? Like, I don't want to do anything with you, but can you just stay there? Because I was finding his presence so comforting. And that poor, long-suffering man just stayed there. He just sat there reading until I was ready to go to bed. And that's love. But, you know, sometimes just the presence of a friend or an animal is just comforting. And they don't actually need to be saying anything or doing anything. Just having them there is comforting. It is the same when we come to God's word, when we bring our gaping neediness and our anxiety and confusion and grief and questions, when we bring our boredom, when we bring our disappointments, when we bring it all and we sit with God's word, his word is a refuge. We can take refuge in his promises. And then in that place of refuge, we just discover more and more who he is. We discover more and more this great love that he has for us. We discover more and more how we're called to live in light of that love.